Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So this is a surprise book episode. Sorry we didn't tell you ahead of time, so you probably haven't read it, although maybe you have. But we are going to try to get through this with no spoilers, so you can listen to it and hopefully use this as a, ooh, I should go get that book and read it. Yeah. That sound good? I think that's a good plan. Yeah. Um, What we are going to talk about is Our Vitreous Womb by Haldane B. Doyle which is actually four novellas in one. And it's Her Unbound Hallux, Her Lethal Secretions, Her Pellucid Pupil, and His Indelible Fingerprint. I recognize that that sounds like a lot to unpack because when I first read the titles, I was like, I'm not sure what I am getting into. I'm interested because the author actually contacted us and asked us to read this book, and he seemed like a really nice guy. So, sure, I'm going to give this a shot. Well, we figured we'd give it a shot. And it turned out to be really good. It kind of reminded me of um, Geometry for Ocelots, not stylistically or content-wise, but (laughs) in that we were both sitting on the couch going, listen to this shit, and then reading each other quotes from the book. Yes. Yeah. And And it's a, like, self-published Yes, it is. And I'm not sure that he has um, digital versions available. Yeah, his website has links to where you can buy the ebook. Yeah, he definitely has. um, I'm looking right here. Do you mean physical copies? Does he have a link to where you can buy the ebook? Shop. Ebook. Okay, the ebook is available on Kobo and Amazon. Okay, so it is available in ebook. So. I think what we'll talk about overall is the theme, which one of the themes, like the overarching theme, is really like biology, reproduction, the importance of reproduction in human evolution. It's like, or non-human, I guess they're all human. Humans have been stratified into a variety of different groups. Right. It's far in the future. Yeah. It's kind of like the time machine, you know, time machine where he goes far enough in the future that there's two Two races of humans. Yeah, there's two distinct populations of humans. Kind of like that, but like on crack. Yeah. Or steroids. Um, so we get what, fifty thousand years into the or, future. Or a rigorous training regimen. Or yeah, yeah. We get way far in the future. Roughly fifty thousand years. It's been a long time. And the majority of this takes pay- place in Australia. 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 Which is Australia. And the rest of the world is divided into multiple slave empires. As far as we know, I kind of wish there's a fifth one. I hope there's a fifth one that gives us more of outside of Australia and the world and somewhere. Right. And I I kind of like how contained it is. Yeah. 
We're telling this story. It feels like a the single story organism. of Astrala. Of a single organism. We're supposed that's, to. That's yeah. a good point. And the cells inside that organism. And then each cell inside that organism or person, which kind of operates as a cell, um, has uh, different functions kind of in the same way that different cells inside the body do. So we have our first group of people that we interact with are known as alates. Yeah. Alates. Alates. And they are your typical homo sapien. They're people. They're regular old people. And they're kept in these mansion compounds where they are encouraged to um, pursue aesthetic. An aesthetic discipline. An aesthetic discipline. And it can be something different. Sometimes it's papier mache, and sometimes it's still life painting, and sometimes it's portrait painting, and sometimes it's drawing, and sometimes it's poetry, and whatever. And they are encouraged to give these to the emperor. And the emperor is the person that And they... I like how the mythology is developed and applied here. Yeah. Because we have the emperor and the deacon, the the bishop. Yeah. The emperor and the bishop as the two avatars of you know, the godhead whatever. Yeah. And their their representation on on earth versus in heaven. Correct. And Alates believe that they are this elevated race and that when it is their time, the emperor will choose them to be transformed into these great beasts and they will be used on the front lines to fight the slave empire. And they are aware of another group of homo sapiens known as crefters. And crefters are kind of like the labor. They're bigger and tougher and kind of more boring. Yeah, I mean, they're they're mechanically... They're all mechanically inclined. Right. And they are separated from the alates because the alates have to interbreed. The The whole point is that their genome remain pure. It's essential that it does. So they don't really do half-breeds. In fact, it's implied. And we actually have a couple of alate characters right off the bat. We have Miobeth and her mother, who she calls mother, but she's Lady Anabasi. And her, not her father, but the man who is currently assigned to mother, which yes, is the, Hero. the male groom. Yeah. I think she calls him a groom, doesn't she? I think they pretty consistently use groom yeah. to describe the man, the Con reproductive male. Consistently throughout the novel, women are treated as far more precious than men. Absolutely. Because women are capable of reproduction. You need one man to however many women. Right. Whereas uh, later, <laughs> one of my highlights is a groom is a set of testicles with a life support system. Yeah. You got to be real, real comfortable with um, sex. Sometimes like clinically indifferent sex, sometimes more uh, I mean, it's not it's not smutty, I guess, in the way that some of the books I read for Feast, Sheath, and Shatter is. It's just that reproduction is a central theme to the novel. And not only that, but the separation of the idea of sexual pleasure from sex for reproduction. Be also, and those two both separated from physical intimacy. Yeah. In fact, uh, 
among non-crafter, non-allate groups known as Australs, attaching yourself firmly to one person is completely like taboo that you don't do that because encouraging someone to love a single person is considered toxic. Right. So this is, I think like a, a core part of the society is that this one, this is a society outside of the, the allots and the crafters they're maintained as this whole separate mini society, this yeah. uh, microbiome yeah. in the greater macrobiome of Australia. But the society of Australia has stri striven, strived, stri okay. The greater <laughs> society of Australia has worked really hard to yes. become. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the terms I hear in the the miasma of the internet is like non-rivalrous mm -hmm. cooperation or um or anti-rivalrous or you know anti-capitalist yeah. where you are cooperative without uh it, like without it's competing. not it's not you, Without competing, yeah. co-opetition, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it's and, really um, almost the subversion of the individual for the good of the whole. To the to the extent that they are willing to remove themselves from the gene pool at literally any given moment. Right there, there's analogs for like when a cell in a body triggers. There, there's you know a certain there's some flags inside the cell that say, "Hey, I'm not healthy." There's something wrong going on. Something is not operating correctly. There's been a mutation, whatever. Yeah. The cell performs something called apoptosis, which is uh, suicide. Mm -hmm. it, the cell destroys itself. And then there's a process in the body called autophagy, where it just cleans up waste products and like old dead cells and whatever. And we have analogs for these in the society. Yeah. Which makes sense since... This book is heavily inspired by like real science, the real ways that things operate in the world. And, and the society considers itself an organism and each person is just a cell in the body, a cell yeah. in the, the larger organism. And so individuals will remove themselves Entire groups, like towns, will cleanse themselves if there's a pathogen, like diseases are a big deal. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hints, uh, a few outright statements of like biological warfare. And that's just how the world works. And this society partly, I think, is maintained, they're, they're able to maintain like the their principles, like enforcement of the principles because there's this big enemy, yeah. the slave empires, which they're always having to guard against. Yes. And I really like how the first one is from the point of view of a character that has absolutely no idea what's actually happening in the world. 
I really like stories where your point of view character is like from a little town in the middle of the forest yeah. and you know they do their own thing like they they go out and chop trees down or whatever and that's what they do yeah. and then you have like the yeah you know, the call to action whatever and that's what we have here and yes. we slowly just gradually unwrap this onion of this story throughout all four stories. The yeah. first character, Miobeth, doesn't ever really end up seeing the whole picture. And in fact, much like cells in the body, none of our individual characters ever end up knowing the full story of what's happening. Each one knows a different, has a different kind of knowledge, but none has like the complete knowledge. And so we get it as breadcrumbs from each section, but it's fine. The characters are all compelling the stories are all interesting and we change it up often enough that it really pulls you through. It doesn't feel like nobody's telling you stuff. It feels like everyone's telling you what they know. It's just that they don't know everything. And I really like that in the first story, um, the Alates, Miobeth and her mother, really believe they have a handle on everything. There is no sense of mystery in their world. They believe they've got it all figured everything out. Is explained. Everything is explained. Everything is explained. Everything is fine. Probably the funniest part is that Hesse is like ancient and they go on and on and on about how she's lived two lifetimes in one body and she's maybe 50. Yeah. I think at one point she says she recently turned 60 or something like that. Yeah. Because pretty much by the time anybody turns 30 or slightly older, it's like, ooh, man, doesn't your back hurt? You really, you really want to stick around for that? I will say there is a lot of socially permitted uh, self. I'm trying to think of a better word. Unaliving. Than, so it was, yeah, unaliving. No, no um, self removal. Let's put it that way. If that's something that you aren't comfortable with, if that's something that you've struggled with, know that going in, that that is a central part of like everybody carries a bead. All the Australs carry a bead. It's like part of being able to be an Austral. And it is your right to have this bead so that you can choose at any moment to just be done. No Austral ever needs to be in pain is what they say. So there's a fair amount of, I think we confront it most in the third one because the character in the third one um, ends up having to leave her group that she's a part of. Because there's not just Australs. There's not just three groups. There's the Alates and the Crefters, which kind of look the same. And then the Australs are an infinite variety. Some of them live underground. Some of them are really tall and they travel through the area between what they call cells, which are like hedged off areas where they'll have a group that all live in that. Yeah, like a quarantined. Right. And there's group. some thing they're selecting for in there, some trait that they specifically work to cultivate. Or in the case of the lady in the third one, it's like a knowledge repository. So what they've selected for is the ability to store knowledge and remember knowledge and learn language. And they're really, really good at it because they've selected for that skill over a long period of time. And so she finds out she's non-reproductive, which makes her pointless in their society. And so she's intending to cull herself. They call it culling. And ultimately, she ends up not doing it and traveling to find a new purpose for herself, because if she can have a new purpose, then she's still 
worthwhile. And as long as she's worthwhile, it's okay. She can stick around like she has a purpose. And she meets an Ollie. And the Ollates have an entirely different view on life. They've never been taught that you can, that life right, is something They're you a just... much smaller population and they want to maintain kind of the purity of that lineage. Yeah. Whereas the Australs are all about refining for specific traits. Yeah. The Alets, they really need to like keep pure. So the Alets don't have a bead. Right. And so the, the Crafters don't have a bead. But he confronts her. He's like, you Australs will literally do that for absolutely like anything. You stub a toe and it hurts too bad. Boop, I'm gone. Had a bad day. Here you go. And he's like, don't you want to fall in love with your life? But really- the Australs have been bred to be a lot less emotional. Yeah. And a lot less attached to right. their lives. They don't have the same sense yeah, of. Culturally and biologically. Yeah. They don't have the conditioning. They don't have the survival the capacity. Instinct, the, the, yeah. The survival instinct, at all costs. I mean, I think about this every time I watch a, a post-apocalyptic movie where we're in a world that's never going to recover. Something so drastic has happened that never is it going to be easy for people to live in the world ever again. And yet these people will fight so hard to try to stay alive, and yet there's no hope, right? Right. And so to me, I'm like, I mean, I'm sure I don't know exactly what I would do in that situation, but I kind of feel like get out early and avoid the rush. (laughs) I mean, like, why are you fighting so hard when the only thing you have to look forward to is is pain and struggle and violent death? I'm talking about the ones where there's literally nothing, you know, the... Right, like you're on a space station and the air is leaking. Yeah. You're on the space station, everything's fine, but no one's ever going to come and get you. Ever. Or so many people in the world have died, it's just you. You don't even know where other people are. The hope of finding other people is minuscule at best. Yeah. So, and... Anyway, so they lack that. They, they're very much like, oh, okay. At one point we meet a character who um, she has a baby and it's extremely easy because every time it was hard to have a birth, they culled. And so the people that struggled at birth have long since been bred out and now everybody just has babies. They don't even need help. They just pop them out. Right. And like she has a friend who the first time she gets her period, it hurts. And so she calls. Because if she stuck around, she would be passing that pain on to her children. Right. And it's a interesting, would I say controversial? Not, uh, I think because he's framed this in such a futuristic way, in such an alien society, like it's an, it's a society that does not resemble ours in any way. No, it's an interesting thought experiment about what could happen if we were willing to self-select for traits. Right. Uh, What I found interesting was all of them encourage what they call bonding. So you don't have, you have sex for reproduction, but you have sexual pleasure as a way of creating bonds, um, spending time with each other. Just as like a, hey, it's late. We're all going to lay around. We're all like we grew up together. We're all in this together. We're going to live together our whole lives. 
we should probably um, fool around. Right. Yeah. Like the tribe. Yeah. All, they all, you know, bond with each other. Not in a male-female capacity. Right. Because that's passing genetic material and you can't do that because it could be infected. So everything is about um, remaining, like, sterile. Right. In the sense of not passing any potential pathogen from one to the other. In fact, you don't even move between cells. It's kind of like how each cell has that boundary in which nothing passes. It's not a permeable membrane. because things do pass, but only specific kinds of things. And there's a procedure to make sure that things don't cross over that could be infectious. Right. In fact, if you move, as you move through like deeper into Australia, you have to go through these cleansing rituals and they're framed as these like religious rituals, but really they're like a purge where you get. Right. You get slathered with like an antiseptic over your entire body. And then you, you take like the stuff you drink before colonoscopy that just completely cleans out your digestive system. Yeah, I'd like the one part later on where we have one character who goes through the most extreme version. And at the end, all of their internal biology has been replaced with new, like... New digestive bacteria. New digestive bacteria. And they're like, if every piece of bacteria in my body has been replaced, am I still me? Which was a really interesting question to ask. I thought a lot of the things that he talked about in this were really fascinating and things that I had never thought to think about and I had never really thought it would make a good story. And yet they do. I'm not sure how to phrase that without right. I putting think there's spoilers in, but yeah, trying to stay spoiler free. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely get into like in geometry for ocelots, we got a lot of, kind of metaphysical articulation. Yeah. Thought um, experiment stuff. From the kind of, here's some abstract ideas and what can we infer from that and what are the implications, whatever. And this is much more like, okay, here's a society where we've optimized everything for the long-term survival and success of the organism that is our entire like sub race of humanity and all these specific like specialized communities within that sub race. And what are the, what are the kind of uh, cultural and religious productions? Like what would emerge from that kind of society that would become the kind of stories that they tell each other or that they narrate internally. Yeah. That explains how their world works. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was, you know, it's, we like sci-fi, but we haven't really talked about a lot of really hard sci-fi, which I mean, sci-fi that leans really heavily into science And you have some pretty extreme examples like Greg Egan, who will legit create his new physics and then give you the equations for the new physics and expect you to understand where he's going with this. And often 
that hard sci-fi doesn't get the play that more like esoteric sci-fi gets because um, you feel outsmarted. You feel outsmarted by the author. You feel outsmarted by the characters. Unless you are a published physicist like the other person in the room with me <laughs> and you love Greg Egan because you like to be talked to, you enjoy having someone smarter than you in the room because it gives you someone you feel like you want to listen to. Right. Which is not something everybody enjoys. And I do like that sometimes, but I like to know that's what I'm walking into. I like to know I'm going to a lecture. And so when the author sent this to us and described it as, I really wanted a science fiction book that leans heavily into biology because I think it's something that doesn't get discussed very often in sci-fi because sci-fi is like ooh physics ooh you know computers ooh computers ooh, spaceships ooh wormholes well, you know, there's a lot yeah. of uh, the science we associate with science fiction and then biology is like oh yeah they engineered this thing isn't that wonderful here we go all right we, we just shorthand it right because you know the biology stuff gets really hand wavy it gets hand wavy yeah. um where i'm going with this is I felt like if you were reading this and you had a really deep understanding of biology, you would know where he was going. If you were reading this and you just enjoy reading science fiction, you would also know where he was going. I don't think there is anybody that feels outsmarted by this book. Not in a the book feels dumb, but in a it is completely palatable with out really understanding like oh the reticulum because the reticulum is like the complex network in between cells and each cell has a hedge because oh it has a semi-permeable membrane that only allows certain things in and oh this you know there's the kind of microbiology and macrobiology references and if you get none of those it's still a compelling story right the the balance between the storytelling and the scientific and um, overtones the scientific and philosophical ideas that that apply to the the world building and kind of inform the narrative there's a balance there where if you lean too heavy in the into the story and never really like incorporate the more abstract ideas. Yeah. Then uh, the world feels kind of shallow and you don't get a sense that there's big things happening. Right. If you go the other way and lean really heavy into the scientific and philosophical abstract ideas of here's, here's what the author is envisioning of their world and what drives their world, their society and you you slack off on the narrative, then you just get bored and you feel like you're being it's just exposition and yeah. whatever. But there's such a good balance here that you're getting a lot of information dumped on you and there's a lot of expansion on some of these more abstract philosophical ideas that the society operates on. But by the time where you start to feel like, uh, like we're getting a lot of this, the story's moved on. Yeah. And we've left that behind in a way that we'll reference it later. 
but you don't have to like memorize a whole bunch of details. Yes. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, like you were saying, the balance between the science and the storytelling was really well done. I also thought he was an exceptional writer of female characters. I actually thought he did a really good job with his female characters. We actually get a range. Um, when they need to be smart, they aren't um, stubborn to the point of stupidity, which is usually the default for male authors when they're trying to create a strong woman. And to his credit, we got no stubborn to the point of stupidity characters. So thank God for that. Um, like, I really liked Miobeth. I deeply disliked Lady Anabasi, all of which we were supposed to do. Um, we meet a few female characters later, all of whom are unique in their own way and are also compelling and interesting. Right. They're actually different characters. Right. And then the main character, who ends up carrying through several of the stories. And yes, it says in his description who that is. We but... went into this book without reading the synopsis on his website. Correct. Or on the ebook listings. And about like three quarters of the way, I read this, the synopsis and I, we talked about it and we thought it kind of, it's kind of a spoiler. Yeah. It feels a bit like a spoiler because I didn't read it. So there's several points. There's a point where I, I was didn't glad read I, the did, synopsis. I didn't read the synopsis. I read the book. Yeah. I didn't read the synopsis. There is definitely a point in the book where I had a like, oh, good. Like a, oh yes, moment. That I would not have had if I'd read the synopsis because I would have been expecting it. So I would almost say avoid the synopsis, just go in cold. Yeah. Like if you're listening to this, don't go look it up. Just go buy the books and read the books. Don't read the description. Because to me, it it didn't ruin the book or anything. And it wasn't like an intentional spoiler. It is what the book is about. It just, I enjoyed it better not knowing that that was coming. Right. Yeah. He also did a good job with the male characters. I got, I now feel like I have a deeper understanding of the struggle of having a penis. <laughs> <laughs> what does he say? Even an unattended penis, oh. even a lone penis can get you into trouble. A lot of the characters are eunuchs. A lot of the male characters are sterilized because you don't need very many reproductive males. And right. here it is. Here it is. A lonely penis can still make unreasonable demands. <laughs> uh, because, you know, if you are not needed for, if you're not, if you don't have a trait worth passing on, you don't get to keep the ability to pass on that trait. Sometimes your purpose is like what you can do. Like our one character can walk or run really fast. And so his entire race is dedicated to helping people move through the reticulum. And then we have another character who has a really desirable trait. Well, they get to go on and have a bunch of babies or sprogs, which it takes a while for us to find out that sprogs are babies, but sprogs are babies. And, uh, but most other characters um, end up being sterilized. And one notable character has it all removed. No penis, no testicles, nothing. And he's the one that says a lone penis can still make unreasonable demands. Yeah. And so we get we get these really elegant phrasings of we get these really elegant phrasings to explain how 
how the society believes that not reproducing is still a benefit to the society. Yeah. Yeah, your and only so, purpose isn't your ability to reproduce. Like at one point, I strongly it says, identify with this sentiment. <laughs> uh, at one point, a character says, "A baby's hand starts as a paddle. To form the fingers, some of the cells volunteer to die, so that the ones left behind can make something functional, something beautiful together. That is the way of Australia. We have to embrace our role, whether we become the fingers." Or the spaces in between them. Here's another good one. Power, like love, must not rest in one set of hands. Or burden one gentle heart for longer than necessary. Power, like love, turns deep and stagnant and dangerous when concentrated. The whole structure is maintained by the dead-end branches. They are not a waste, but vital for the functioning of the system. Even for those who bear offspring, less than one in a million cells is used to create a new individual. Are the rest of the cells failures? It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I was looking through really some good. of my other quotes. Um, that's the trick. If you're suffering, knowing there's an end brings relief. If you are joyful, knowing there's an end causes bitter sorrow. And if you're ambitious, knowing time runs out makes you even more determined. Oh, yeah, and I highlighted this one, too. Solitude is an illusion, as is company. Ask the jellyfish if you need clarification. <laughs> There's got quite a few really good quotes in here. It was just really well written, and I really enjoyed it. My favorite part, probably. All right, I'll tell my favorite part, then you tell your favorite part, and then we should probably cut this short before we start spoiling this book. Yeah. My favorite part is we eventually meet a character, and... She's um, She leaves her original cell because she's not going to be able to fulfill the purpose that she should fulfill at the cell. So she's intending to call and she gets convinced by her friend to go and try to do something different. And if that doesn't work, um, you can still call. It doesn't matter. Nobody's taking that choice away from you. And she's like, okay, fine. I'll give that a shot. So she gets tasked with translating these ancient novels they have these ancient books they have all these ancient tomes and it's like oh what types of knowledge have been preserved over the centuries and you know i'm going to be like copying these and it's going to be like a light into this past world and it's going to be so cool and so she ends up translating this book and it's a horny romance novel about this woman who wants to be like a newspaper reporter and she sleeps her way to the top yeah <laughs> but <laughs> i was like i love that that you know it's oh oh what's going to survive well it's going to be shakespeare and it's going to be all these brilliantly written like beautiful paragons of culture and well what is our culture well it's smutty romance novels that's what like the if you want smutty wanted... romance is a huge like market share yeah of all the books that get published. What gets published more than anything else? Smutty romance. What's most likely to survive? Smutty romance, because it's what we have the most of. And I thought that was a brilliant inclusion. Did you have a favorite part? I think my favorite part was the the kind of internal monologue in the last novella when... There's the three guys and the chocobo yeah. traveling together. <laughs> it's not a chocobo, but we'll go. It's not yeah. a, it's, I, it's a I, chocobo, though. It's a chocobo uh, <laughs> under a different name. Yeah. Um, 
a chocobo by any other name is still just as entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> and they're on they're on this like final leg of the journey together and there's been injury, there's jealousy, there's for a character that like can't have sex anymore and has separated that from themselves and they're struggling with like having a relationship with this person that they care about and like how do you have a deeper relationship with someone when like most of the physical intimacy like capacity has been removed yeah and and the dynamic between the characters there i thought was really engaging yeah yeah that is a really good trio at the end there and that whole section is really interesting in its first we've spent a lot of time normalizing just being together for sexual pleasure in a non-intimate like this is just something we do to like hey do you want to play cards nah let's sit and jack each other off like that's fine i mean it's not right. like a it's just a a bonding experience like playing a board game and then we meet this character who so there's a character who when we first meet him um is masturbating and then he ends up you know, becoming friends with the woman who finds him masturbating. Um, and they kind of form a relationship. They get fake married, but really it's because he just wants a friend. And yet he he's a horny dude, so he masturbates, like, all the time. And at one point, they recreate their first meeting because she's trying to do something really special for him, make a really special day. And he beamed at her, unashamed of his nakedness this time around. He spoke, wise and gentle lady. Do not fear. I will harness the power of my self-confidence to help you in a completely non-awkward way. Please give me one moment to put my bothersome penis away. And then uh, later he's with another character and he's still continuing to almost every night uh, masturbate. And at one point the guy promises him we'll fill the ocean with your offspring or the ocean with your seed. And he goes, wow, even I couldn't masturbate that much. But it's a really interesting nobody judges him for this everyone's like oh okay that's fine like he he's an intact male he clearly has the desire for reproduction totally get it like he's just following his biology do you want help like <laughs> would you like assistance would you like to snuggle during after whatever like can i can i be with you during this you know what, what's going on how, how can i best assist you to um you know help this be the most like satisfying experience for you instead of being like uh gross he wants to have sex like all the time it's so weird it was a very in some parts it was judgmental because the astrals don't really understand the alates they're kind of a throwback for them right they're just almost on an evolutionary level they're so far removed yeah it it feels to them like this they primitive this yeah, primitive strand of primitive yeah and so in some ways they see them as like puppies, like they're cute and they have all these cute animal urges that we've, we've left behind, but it's a very non-judgmental book. Like generally speaking, everybody just sort of gets along. I mean, we get a couple of competition is important, important in a cell because competition encourages the best adapted to survive. So in some places competition is encouraged 
But for the most part, not really. It was right, really like you, you get competition among the grooms. Yeah. And they have this whole display. And it's very focused on like physical prowess, like uh physical like symmetry and like attractiveness. Desirable traits. Which are their proxies for a lot of things like was your immune system um functional while you were developing? Yeah. And if so, your body will be very symmetric. We get just enough conflict to drive the plot forward, but we don't get so much conflict. It feels like that's the only thing driving the plot forward. It's just the spice. It's not the majority of the meal. And it's really refreshing because we just read certain dark things where she wasn't sure how to have that balance. And we, she wasn't sure how to make the conflict meaningful. But every bit of conflict in this book feels meaningful and important. Right. It's attached to something greater. Yeah. Whether it be an actual, like, organization of other people or a more abstract ideal of the society. Yeah. Yeah. And as a man in a modern Western society like the United States – there's a lot of stigma on pretty much like anything to do with men like wanting to be close to another man. Yeah. Like even just like, hey, let me put my arm over your shoulder. Like, or I'm going to lean on you while we're sitting on the couch watching a movie together or anything like that. Everything gets... Everything is interpreted as intentional and sexual. Yeah. And so this was a very interesting headspace where a lot of that gets unpacked in a non-judgmental way. Yeah. Where everybody, the participants and everybody around is like, oh, yeah, like, cool. Like, they don't even remark on it. Yeah. It's just so normalized. It's, it's bonding behavior. Associ close associating. Right. Yeah. Oh, there's one part where one of the characters is an envoy, which means they travel through the reticulum. <clears throat> and he was like, yeah, we don't pass each other very often. So when we do, we like to spend time together and closely associate with each other. Because it's a rare opportunity to be with another person. Yep. And it's not about like, oh, no, they're two dudes or whatever. Although the... Interestingly, the Alate character is the only one who's like, oh, no, not with another man. Although, ultimately, I think he gets over that. <laughs> but it's yeah. like a, no, that seems strange. I really just want a woman. Because that's how he was raised. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the imperative for reproduction. Because sex and reproduction are separated. So... You can have the idea of sexual intimacy and sexual pleasure without the imperative re of reproduction. What did we just do where you made a crack about reproduction is the joke played on us by oh, ourselves? Yeah, yeah uh, sex is the joke that the genes play on the individual. Yeah. Because the genes, the building blocks of our bodies, are adapted to fulfill to fulfill the survival behaviors yeah which are reproduction at all costs 
And it's done at such a fundamental level of the biology of the individual that the individual doesn't even realize that these urges that they're feeling aren't in, in the like modern, like Western sense, we separate the mind is a thing that's in the body, but is not part of the body. And my, you know, the me, the mind, the consciousness, the things that I want are just because my mind wants them. Yeah. It's not a part of my body, like inserting itself into my subconscious and say, boop, here's an urge. Here's, here's a thing you actually want. Here's a craving. And then it pops up into your consciousness and you think, oh, this is in my consciousness. This is in my mind. It came from my mind. But it was this just fundamental, uh, almost compulsion yeah. driven by your body. And that structure that produced that compulsion was adapted by the shaping of the genes to fulfill the necessary behaviors to for the species to survive. And so you, as an individual, you have all these cravings and urges that are a result of your like biological adaptations of the survival of your species. Yeah. And if you identify all the things that pop into your head as a product of your mind, then you can think, oh, I want to have sex with this person because that's something I want as a person, as an individual. Yeah. When it's more of a response that your body has in the right context and your mind experiences it, but it didn't come from your mind. It wasn't yeah. something you came it's up with. It's hard-coded. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's baked in. It's baked it's in. It's baked in the firmware. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Um, intimacy looks different to different people, but the idea of the drive for intimacy is generally there. Generally there. Um, but in this, that gets to be like, I can be intimate with it, with a, a large variety of people because I am actually strongly discouraged from being like selective and having one intimate partner. It is actually better for me to have a casual intimacy with everyone because that does not that does not create the kind of competition that becomes destructive. And and putting your entire dedication, all your focus and attachment onto one person is partly a burden onto that person yeah. to support it and reciprocate it. Yeah, and sex is very destigmatized. In fact, there's one character who goes to visit the groom for the first time. So even though she has bonded with her sister set and spent time learning her body through them and through herself, this is her first time being with a groom, but it's very like, okay, well, that happened, and now maybe I'll get pregnant, okay. It's not like, oh, no, I'm a virgin, and I'm going to have sex. It's like, no, I'm visiting the groom to get a genetic material donation. Right, because this is my role in this in my group. Yeah, and they're like, what do you think it's children. like having your genitalia on the outside and they're like oh my god that must be so gross and like weird <laughs> it's really funny I, I like how it's explored and how well and non-judgmentally it's explored yeah 
Yeah, very much so. And it's actually almost clinicized, I want to say, where we don't get a character. Yeah, a lot of it feels very clinical. Yeah, we don't get a character that's, I mean, they bond for pleasure. They don't have sex for pleasure. None of the sex in the book is framed as pleasurable, which I thought was really fascinating. Only the non- Non-reproductive bonding. Yeah, the non-reproductive bonding time is for pleasure, but sex is not the thing that you do for pleasure. Anyway, read the book. <laughs> if Just read the, the book, and it's Our Vitreous Womb, again, by Haldane B. Doyle, and there's four novellas, Her Unbound Hallux, Her Lethal Secretion, Her Pellucid Pupil, and His Indelible Fingerprint. And I will put a link in the show notes, and actually, the author is going to be coming on the podcast sometime in November, um, last half of November. Actually, we have a date scheduled, but I don't know where we'll be at for me to have it. Like It'll probably be out in December. Y- yeah, early early December. Um, so look forward to that because I have a feeling we're going to have a really good time talking to him. And actually, he's from Australia, so he will be our first international guest. Woo! Which will be really interesting. So I'm really excited about it. And I'm also excited that this is an independent novel, which is what, I mean, that's what we're trying to do more of is, you know, if you have like a indie movie, a small budget movie, an indie novel, a small budget novel, like just a small, there's such a wealth of amazing content out there. And the only reason we're not seeing it is because the way we receive media is so skewed towards the types of media that can pour money into an advertising budget and whether or not we see something shouldn't, I mean, media shouldn't be forced to disappear into nothingness simply because the author or the creator couldn't pay. Right. So we would love to hear from you. We have a suggestion form on the website. You can go on there and fill it out at any time. It sends us an email and then I generally get back to you quickish, quickish, um, pretty quick. So go ahead and go to strangeandbeautiful.club and go to the bottom, I think is the suggestion form or in the link bar across the top, there's a suggestion form. So you just click suggestion form, fill it out. Um, let us know. We would love to hear from creators and authors or people who just want to talk about a book that they love. So feel free to do that. And then go read this book because we're probably going to spoil it when he comes on. So this is your warning. To remember that sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.